All right, welcome back. Episode 13. Didn't we just do 10? Probably like it, yeah. Oh, man. I know. We got to 13 from 10 pretty quick. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. So we have a, we have a topic for this, uh, for this episode. Oh, man. Okay. So I, I read a quote recently by A.W. Tozer. And um, the quote was something, I'm going to look it up exactly. But the quote was something like, you win them, what you win them with is what you win them to. That's, that's kind of a, thinking about, when I read it, I think it was in a context of church. And, you know, drawing people in and engaging people in, in church life. And, um, yeah. But then I started thinking of it in a different, in a different context, not just like in church life. Started thinking of it in our personal life, like, okay. So what if that applies also? Like what you win them with is what you win them to. So, yeah. We're diving right into the deep end. Yeah. Well, build, build some context of like how this thought process started. Well, I think, I don't know how I, I came across the article, but it was talking about uh, church engagement, how we engage people, how we try to reach out to people and how we try to do things that, that are relevant, that are culturally relevant and that, uh, that meet people where they are and, and meet needs. Um, but sometimes we do that in a way that, that starts feeling like we're selling something. We're selling a program, we're selling an activity, we're selling an event, we're selling these, we're selling, we're packaging the gospel, we're packaging a ministry, we're packaging a calling. Um, and sometimes what, what draws people in, what engages people is the way that we've packaged and sold a product. So... This is just my thinking. It's like, I feel like sometimes we, we really get on people about um, being consumers. You know, we, yeah. we call people out. It's like, you know, we're such consumers. We expect, um, we say that they're consumers, but like just this thought process for me was, well, yeah, that's kind of how we've conditioned them we've presented things in such a way that they consume it. And now we're calling them out for consuming stuff. Oh, we have this program. We have this package session. We have this package lesson. We have this package thing. And then when they come to behave like, Oh, Hey, yeah, I know what a happy meal looks like. I want a happy meal. It's like, no, why do you want a happy meal? Well, that's what you were selling me. Yeah. So that's where it got me thinking about this. I was reading some article, got me thinking about what you win them with is what you win them to. So when we're, when it's so important just to be aware when we're engaging people, um, when we're being the church, when we're being followers of Jesus, am I, am I letting Jesus so influence me that my character, my life, my behavior, my thoughts, desires, my actions are just changed because I'm informed, formed and influenced by the person of Jesus. So I just behave different or, you know, am I presenting those things? Am I pitching those things? 
it's kind of like the the difference between um, virtue signaling and just being. Like, as I as I understand it, virtue signaling is like you're signaling to others. This is what I believe. This is what I stand for. Um, and most often, like in the, the most negative way, you do that through social media, through your comments, through words and things that you say. Uh, but what if we were to signal through our the way that we live our lives, through our actions, through the way that we embrace and engage people? Um, that to me seems very, very powerful because I think we, we were talking this morning at breakfast that I learn more from others by what I see them doing. I learn more from that than I do from what I hear them saying. So I learn from more from what I see them doing than what I hear them saying. Um, and I think that's, it was kind of related to that. What you win them with is what you win them to. So if somebody's behavior, you know, if they're embodying Jesus's character and behavior and that moves me and that, that's actually my story of how I came to know Jesus. Somebody embodied um, Christ's acceptance and affirmation and, and grace and mercy. That's what won me over. I wasn't won over because it was this like spectacular kids program, youth program. It wasn't that. It was one individual who embodied the character of Jesus in such a way that I came to know Jesus. Yeah, we talked about the danger of what happens when you lead somebody in relationship or you lead somebody in, in church um, and it's not you, how difficult that is to keep that going. And then the, when things are, when you have that, we don't have that left to lean on anymore. Then you, you fill yourself with crap. Yeah. It's that, that same, we were talking about earlier was that same principle of, what you win them with is what you win them to. Well, that's one thing when you're talking about a church organization, but yeah, what are the implications in our personal relationships? Like when you meet somebody, when you're in a romantic relationship, when you're in a friendship, um, when you're in an acquaintance and you're like, are you doing things to try to draw that person in? And are you doing things that are not who you are? but you're doing things that you think they'll find impressive. You're talking about certain things that, you know, you think will move the needle, will make them interested. Are you acting out a certain way or using certain language? Are you spending a certain way, talking a certain way, doing certain things that, that will draw them in because you want, you want them to be attracted to you or in some way. And then, yeah, exactly what happens when, okay, now you're, you're in this relationship, whether it's a friendship or, or a romantic relationship. And now just being you isn't enough. I see this happen all the time in business too. There's been so many times that I've talked to a leader and their complaint was, well, we hired them because they had all this experience and all this, you know, background in X, Y, Z. And now that the projects have changed or we're focused on other uh, initiatives, they're not as useful anymore because we're not doing the thing that we hired them to do. Mm. And then they're complaining, well, now 
they're not equipped for the thing that we're doing now. Mm -hmm. And often my response to leaders that have these type of problems when they're, they feel like they've got uh, buyer's remorse is, well, what was the original intent of you hiring this person? Was it for the short term or was it the long game? And usually we want to hire for the long game, right? We want to hire people to not just be good at the small project that we're hiring them for or the fill in the whatever, right? Fill in the blank. Um, if you're, if you're only focused on the short term, then of course, like this makes sense. Like you, you weren't thinking about your team in the next, you know, two, three years. And you've got someone that's limited by their experience. And so now their complaint is, well, I want to get rid of them. Let's go find the next best thing. Or um, rather than focusing on that individual and building them up, they feel like now they have to compensate or uh, bring in someone different or whatever it may be. And I see that happen. And, and even in relationships, as you were talking about that, I think about that in my previous relationships and you know what, what a lot of people were drawn to with me specifically is uh, they, you know, being a DJ and a producer living in Los Angeles and then, you know, coming to Austin and playing at big clubs and uh, people love that. And they treat me different when they know that, like, Oh, this guy is like this person that is well known and he's got, you know, he's got a little bit of clout in his name. But if I don't live that life of like being a party DJ and going to clubs, then they're like, well, who are you? Luckily, I know who I am. But as a young adult, I struggled with that because I felt like I had to use that in order for people to want to be around me. And when it's, when it's not there, like I had to, I, we talked about this on here on the first or second episode, like I gave up music to be a father. And when that was stripped away, what am I left with? And then the people around me were so used to that too. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very dangerous game when you're playing. There's a term for it. I can't think of the, the actual term for what I'm trying to say. Not imposter syndrome. It has something to do with like the magician. You ever heard that term before? No. I'll find it and come back to it. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a... I think there's a lot that happens when you've led people with your accolades and then when they're not there anymore or they're 10 years old and they're not relevant, then you're kind of like that, that actor who was like really popular back in the seventies and they're like, they're just trying to do whatever they can by getting on like, what are those shows? Like any random show. I don't watch a lot of TV nowadays, but some dating show or you're trying to do things to remain relevant. There you go. There you go. Because you have a sense that just being you isn't enough. Yeah. In the context of church, what is the picture that you're painting for the individual that is believing this one thing that you created? And when they get there, right, and in any church, and they see it's not that, how, how much does that complicate things for that person's walk, especially when they're trying to Find Jesus. You led me to this. I'm just going to say that right now. You have people that make this statement that, well, 
they look like they care. I went because they look like they care. And I never want that to be said about, I mean, a community, a community that I'm a part of, that someone was drawn because we looked like we cared, but then they become a part and we forget about them. Imagine how that feels. I've seen it. I think we've, we've all seen it. We all, we all do it. Um, we had a meeting, a church meeting a little while back. And I remember something, that I, I really, I felt this really heavily in my heart. We often talk about um, the importance of, of growing as a church and the importance of growing young. Um, because I've heard it said that it takes nothing for a church to grow old. A church grows old all by itself and stagnant all by itself. Mm-hmm. But you have to work for a church to grow young. And the image that comes into my mind is a tree. I would assert that you need to attend to the roots and the branches. I think sometimes we focus on one or the other. For churches that grow old and stagnant, we're just focusing on the roots, but we're not looking for any new growth. And for churches that are afraid of becoming that, we're just like, hey, where's the new growth? Where are the younger people? Where's the next generation? Where's where's all the new stuff? And what happens is you have you forget about the roots. And you forget to tend to and love and embrace and encourage and feed and water the root system that's going to feed that new growth and that new life. Yeah. And I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both and. Sure. Um, but I think just as humans, it's very easy for us to swing from one extreme to another. Like, this is the way we've always done it. You know, that's that. this is just who we are. There's that thinking. And there's the... Oh, we'll look at our, our target demographic. How are we growing old? What's our average age? We need to be growing younger. We need to be engaging the next generation. It's like, and just focusing on that. Yeah. And my assertion is like, you need to do both. Yeah. And you need to encourage engagement between the two because, I mean, young, young people, the younger generations are going to have the passion and the energy and the strength and the vitality mm. that we often lose as we get older. But the older generations have the wisdom and experience and knowledge to share. Now you put those things to two, those two things together, and it's amazing. Yeah. When you put together experience, wisdom, and knowledge with passion and vitality and new life, you have something amazing. Yeah, you can move faster. I, th- I thought about pruning as you were saying that. Like I think a lot of times, I think that there's there's a forgetfulness of what pruning looks like to get ready for that new growth. Cause a lot of times, you know, if you're looking at an Oak tree, things fall and in order for that healthy branch to continue to grow, there has to be a cut at some point so that the, mm-hmm. the, the branch could take root. Yeah. One of the things that I've seen play out and, and you've, you've seen this, we've all have seen this where, this kind of goes back to your earlier, earlier you talked about like saying it or doing it, the differences. Seeing a lot of churches talk about, oh, we're, we're, we're a church or community, but we're so big um, that we need community. And I recently had a conversation about a month ago with somebody really close to me and they are struggling with their faith. And their, their response to the church that they were going to 
um, and now they're kind of figuring out what they want to do next, was during a service, they're like, hey, we're, we're a church or community. Fill out that form that's in front of you, put it in the box, and someone will reach out to you. And he was like, I was going through the hardest moments of my life that once did somebody reach out. And when I went to go ask them where I can get plugged in, their response is somebody will reach out. He's like, how could you sit on the pulpit and talk about you're a church or community and you're, you're going to push us to fill out a form and do absolutely nothing with it? That's sad to hear. Very. Because we want to do things... We want to reach, I think, anybody that's following Jesus wants to reach as many people as possible. And I think often we, we try to use tactic to, tactics or techniques or things to do that as effectively as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have forms and processes and we have, um, you know, different things that we do, these different functional things that we do because we're trying to do it the most effective way possible. I love Brent, man. Brent, such, I don't think he even knows how much of a blessing he's been to me. In fact, I'm sure he doesn't. Because there's little things that he's done where God and the Holy Spirit used him in a way that spoke to me profoundly. And I acknowledge that it was God and the Holy Spirit. But I also acknowledge that he said yes to something he felt in that moment. And one of the things that that I remember him saying, and I remember him doing, seeing him do, not just say, is walk slowly through the room. Walk slowly through the crowd. We'd be setting up or doing something and, you know, getting everything ready. Some people get there early and somebody just kind of, you have people that get there early and they just want to chat. We've got like, a lot of things going on trying to get ready for the service. And I think a lot of times it's normal to, to just kind of be dismissive and it's like, okay, but I got to get this done. And just, but I'd watch him and he'd be present and he'd see them, talk to him and he'd find a way, you know, God gives us wisdom and ways to, to navigate that situation so that we can still um, go and do the things we need to do. But even for a moment, it's so powerful when someone is present with you, even for a moment, because God can use that moment, that one minute, that two minutes. If we allow the Holy Spirit and God to use that, he can use that. And what's not to say you're present with them for a moment and you're like, hey, can we catch up after? You know what, let's go to lunch. Or can I give you a call a little later? But being present with them and seeing them in that moment it doesn't take long to make someone to be present with someone and make them feel seen if we're intentional about it. Mm-hmm. So are we doing that? And the, the reason I, I say all this is because sometimes we point them to a card when really the most effective thing we could have done in that moment has been present with them for two minutes. That's what people are looking for too. And instead we, we route them to a process. Mm-hmm. Now it's both. I think both, both have their place and both are effective. Of course. But I think, First and foremost, we always need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and sensitive to and what should I do in this moment with this person you've placed before me? I've said it before, walking out the gospel of Jesus begins with the person standing right in front of you, 
what are we doing with that moment? What are we doing with that opportunity? Because that's going to influence and inform them. You know, if, if we're pre- if that's if not as a tactic, not as a technique, but if we're present with them, then that's what we're winning them with, mm-hmm. and that's what we're winning them to. Yeah, and it's not manipulation. It's like, no, I'm just, I'm just loving the person in front of me. That reminds me of what Darren said this weekend during his, during his um, his sermon. At the beginning, he was like, "I'm not, I'm not doing any of this to spark an emotion. This is not to influence a decision for you. I'm not trying to convince you of anything." Yeah, I really love that. I love that he what what he did in that moment. What people probably don't even realize is he put the responsibility back in their hands to make the decision to follow Jesus. And it wasn't reliant on him. It was, it's relying on the Holy spirit doing what God's going to do and touching you to, to act and you saying yes. Doing your part in sharing your experience, but then trusting that the Holy spirit is going to take them the rest of the way. Yeah. Cause one of the things he mentioned was, um, you can't realize the power of Jesus until you respond. He, yeah. He's done all of this, yeah. but you need to respond. There needs to be a response. You need to do something. There needs to be an action, a decision on your part for you to realize that blessing and be profoundly affected by it. You need to be willing to respond. Yeah, I think about Briley when she asked me about getting baptized. Like that's that's it. Like I want to make sure she understands the decision, what that really is before she does it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and I used to hear it all the time. Like I used to hear parents talk about it when Riley was like really little between the years of like zero to two years. And I would hear parents talk about, Oh, you know, or even Ross talk about how they have to understand the decision. And I really didn't comp- like comprehend that up until recently when I've had to have the conversation with her cause she's asking now and I'm like, okay, but this adds a new layer of a conversation that I want to have with her. She's eight years old now. And what I want to figure out is what is leading her to want to do this? Because if it is a, it's just what you do or is it because it looks cool or this is what I feel led by the Holy spirit to do. It's my um, affirmation, right? Of it's your response. Yeah. Is it, are you doing it out of obligation? Are you doing it out of expectation? Are you doing it because you see other people doing it? Are you doing it because it's an emotional response? Um, what is it? And you know, one thing I think, we were talking about this earlier, right? Because she's asking you about this. She's asking you about getting baptized, right? Yeah. So, As you were saying this now, one thing that occurred to me is um, part of accepting Christ is accepting that we are sinners and that he died for our sins. What is sin? To her. Ask her that. Yeah. Do you know what sin is? 
if you don't have a concept for sin, then you can't have a concept for forgiveness or a redeemer. Mm-hmm. You have to know what sin is before you can understand what forgiveness of sin is. We, we kind of had that conversation yesterday and, uh, or after church on Sunday when I was talking about um, the baptisms happening this coming up weekend. And uh, she, uh, she's like, it's when people do bad things. And then she's like, well, you know, my friend, you know, she was mean to me today and she said, blah, blah, blah. So she was sinning. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that. I was like, it sounds like she was just having a really hard day. And I said, like, did you, did you ask her like if she was having a hard day? No. Cause she was being rude, you know? And I'm like, okay. So, uh, we touched the very at the tip of like what forgiveness looks like. Um, just enough to like what her little brain could comprehend. Uh, but going back to, to that thought, yeah, she, I mean, she's not ready yet. She'll get there, but, um, but I think that's a great question. And I think this is, this is super helpful for parents that are well, really young parents, right. That are just having kids or, uh, or that may be between the ages of, you know, five to eight, nine years old because these conversations are, seem to be happening more with me as my kids get older. And I'm, and I wasn't really prepared for this. I like, don't know. I literally made the comment to you earlier. I'm like, I, I need to get some guidance on this on how should I be having these type of conversations with her because, or them, because Owen will have the same questions. You mean your, your kids aren't waiting for you to be prepared for something before they ask you? <laughs> Never. <laughs> when I was younger, um, when I first heard the gospel, the, the term or the phrase that was used back then was age of accountability. Mm-hmm. When a child reaches the age of accountability and as I understood it then and understand it now is that's the age at which they understand what sin is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now that they understand what sin is, they are now accountable for sin. And I've heard the argument of where is that age? Well, I think it's it's different for different kids. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think you can say it's, oh, it's six, it's eight, yeah. it's seven. Everybody's different. It's true. But I think understanding what sin is, is critical to understanding what a savior is, yeah. who our savior is. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's super helpful. That's crazy. She just blindsided you with that question. She's dude lately as she's gotten older, she blindsides me all the time. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, uh, the topics about, or the topic of, you know, LGBTQ, like there've been plenty of moments where she's popped that out on me and I'm like, Oh, we're, we have to, have, well, you're, we're having this conversation uh, now. Yeah. You're like, you're that old now that we get to, we get to do this. You know? Um, okay. And, uh, Oh dude. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. There's, there's certain topics that I feel really comfortable with and there's certain topics that I just like, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what I should be doing right now or what I should be saying. <laughs> I'm sure all parents go through that. I, I think all people in general go through that. Cause you can just get thrown. Someone can ask you that in the street. They could be an adult. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's rough being, especially when you're unprepared and you get asked cold what would you do in this situation? 
what would you say to this person who, whatever? Yep. I think, I think leading, leading with love is always going to be advisable. I remember years ago, Paul and I saw a movie um, called The Sea Inside. It was Javier Bardem. I don't know. I think he was like 24, 26 or something. It was a Spanish movie made in Spain. And it was a, it was a movie, it was a biographical movie about um, a young man in Spain who took a dive into a small body of water, broke his neck and became a paraplegic, I think at 23, 24. Then he has to be taken care of and he needs to be attended to just, just to live um, because he's, he's, a, he, he's a paraplegic at this point. And what this movie explored was ultimately raising awareness for medically assisted suicide euthanasia. This person that was in, in Spain, this young man, and it was, if you look it up, I mean, you can, you can find articles and news stuff. On, it was in the media several years ago, but it was, it was this man who was pleading his case legally to be, to, to allow the government to let him end his life legally. He was trying to, to affect law in that way. And in this movie, they show this, this dialogue. There's a, most of the movie is the dialogue between a priest and this young man. This priest comes and, and counsels him and tries to support him. And it's so interesting. I don't remember specifically why it was done this way in the movie, but the young man lives in a two-story house and he's upstairs and he can't come downstairs because it's too much of a hassle. When the priest comes, priest is downstairs, but for some reason, the young man doesn't want him to go upstairs. So all of their dialogue is yelled back and forth between upstairs and downstairs. So having these, these long, deep discussions about, you know, God and, and pain and tragedy and things like that, yelling up and down the stairs. Sounds like a Latino house. It was, it was such an interesting movie. But here's the thing that, that I took away from that movie. I may not agree with euthanasia or with um, medically assisted suicide. I may not agree. It didn't change my position on suicide, but it definitely made me think about it differently. It, it made me think about it much more compassionately because they're showing this, this individual and they're representing this individual and the anguish and the pain and the suffering he's going through because of the condition he's in. And again, it doesn't change my position, but I approached it with much more of a, uh, a sense of compassion and, and understanding. But I think that goes for a lot of situations where someone says, well, what do you think about this? Yeah. How do you feel about this situation? And I think if we lead from a place of, well, let me at least try to understand and let me try to approach this um, looking through the lens of Jesus. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you're going to condone and accept uh, a certain behavior or a certain expression, but it doesn't mean that you can accept and affirm the person. There was a, uh, there was a, a moment early in my late twenties, mid, mid, mid twenties, late twenties. I have a really close friend. Um, he, as a baby, was had a lot of things. He had you know tumors and had heart issues. Gone through multiple surgeries as an infant, and um, there was a point where his 
the doctor, I think, told his mom, like, hey, your child may not live long after it's born. You might want to abort the, the baby. This is in the in the 80s when uh, when he was born. And uh, fast forward to uh, a night where he and uh, myself and some other people were having a conversation about someone we knew in our church. And they had, they were pregnant. And at the end of their pregnancy, they had, I think, a stillborn baby. Really, really sad. Um, or the baby had lived maybe an hour or two after it was born. And we were close with this couple. And they uh, they had talked about the struggle that they had with being a believer and also having a doctor say, your baby's not going to live. So you should consider aborting it. And myself and this other person, actually there was a couple of other people that had made the comment of how difficult would that be as a, as a parent to know that there's a very, very high chance that your child may not live very long after it's born. And the thought of, well, maybe it is okay, or maybe it is a right move to terminate this pregnancy so that this child doesn't go through it. The thought is something that really struck a chord with my buddy to the point where like he got extremely offended. And I know he wouldn't mind me talking about this because it was a really beautiful moment that came from it. But there was a there was some anger that came out of him in that moment because he was like, how could you even think about even aborting a child? Like, how could you even consider doing that when you're a believer? And we never agreed with, well, we yeah, go ahead and terminate the pregnancy. But that's that was never the conversation for for myself and and other people in the room. We're like, it would be a thought, but we wouldn't go through with it just because we think about it. Doesn't mean that it's the decision that we would make. He got so clung on to the fact that you thought about it. You guys are not believers or you guys are not in tune with Jesus. And we're like, it's not about that, dude. What we're talking about is the pain of being in that moment of having to, to decide there's so much hurt. There's so much confusion. There's so many things that, that are attached to that one moment. I totally could see why somebody would contemplate, maybe this is not the right decision. Mm -hmm. But for him, he took it so personally because his mom was told to abort him. And so for him, he was like, this is my story. And if my mom had even considered thinking about terminating me, I wouldn't be here. And the fact that I am is a testament to my mom's strength. And I'm like, 100%. And that's, that is part of your testimony. And I, I am with you on that, but it would be crazy for us to be naive to say that probably wouldn't be a thought of ours, especially when we're thinking about this life. And I'm not, I'm, I don't agree with abortion. I don't agree with terminating a pregnancy that there's a bunch of things that people can, can decide on. That's just my stance. Mm-hmm. I have friends that are, um, they're a genome, uh, I don't even know what you call them, but they do like research on genomes. And uh, and they deal with this all the time. 
and they have a very clear stance on how they would approach those things. And, and I don't look at them in a certain way, but there's a lot of, a lot of deep rooted pain in those decisions. And so that's kind of going back to the conversation I had with him was it's, it, it's not a question of what we do it. It's just a question of like what we would be thinking in that moment. If we had to make that decision, that's tough. And this is why we need Jesus every single day. Jesus. Yes. What were we talking about this morning? Just this is why we need to cling to him all the time. Because sometimes we don't have the answer. There's no words we can say that are going to bring the comfort that someone needs in that moment. Sometimes the very best we can do is just to be present. I think we need to be okay with that. Yeah. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of questions that people could ask me. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. And I, I think there is a, there's a power and there is a, um, yeah, there's, there's a power in being willing and in, in saying that when somebody approaches you with a question, that you don't know the answer to, but I think often we're, we're tempted to come up with an answer. We're tempted to, to find a way to, to put you know, the situation in a nice little box. And sometimes you just can't. I don't know why that happened. I don't know why you're in this situation. But I know God is in control. And I trust him. And I'm going to pray with you. Um, If you're willing, I will pray with you. I will pray for you. I will do my best to walk with you through the situation and wait on God but I can't tell you I know the answer to that problem. Oh, 100%. Yeah, there's, there, there are so many topics that, or so many conversations I've had in my past where people will, will use politics as a form of gospel. And, and are, you know, they, there's always one individual that always wants an answer. I need to know, yes or no, do you stand on this side or not? I'm like, what's much deeper than just a high-level answer of yes or no? There are things that, there's dialogue that needs to happen. I think that's why there's so many, you look at people fighting over politics. The reason for that, in my opinion, is they don't want to hear or they don't want to have the dialogue. All they want to do is they want to hear yes or no and a committed answer. Like I have, I have friends that are very, very liberal. I have friends that are very conservative and we all hang out together. And, uh, you know, when, when Biden was uh, up for presidency, there's a lot of conversation going back and forth. of Like, does the Republican party, do they, you know, believe in helping black lives? And does the left, do they care about babies or the right, the left here, and it's right in them. Like at the end of the day, I love you. Uh, I'm not saying that that stuff isn't important. Yeah. But my question would be, it's like, what are you doing today? What are you doing today? What are you doing with the God, with the people that God puts in front of you today? You can tell me what you believe. 
You can tell me what you stand for. You could signal what your virtue is, or you can actually live out your virtue. We've said it before. It's like, put up or shut up. Yes. Because all of us, you know, can get a bullhorn and, and yell at someone else what we believe. Yes. Um, but when someone does something, you know, again, I go back to that scripture. It's your kindness that draws me to, that draws us to repentance. How are we behaving with the person in front of us? And that's another thing about, you know, we, we've said this before about the podcast. We can sit here and talk about this stuff all day long. And some of it may sound like, oh, wow, that's, that's really nice. That's packaged well. But how are we living? Right. And I love that we see each other often, and I love that God has brought other people, brought many people into my life, because that's accountability in the most beautiful way. I don't even mean... It's not like gotcha accountability. The way that I think of, you know, as God's brought more and more people into our lives over the last five, six years, I kind of feel like my life has been this messed up, dirty attic. And I'm trying to clean it up. And every person that God brings into my life is another one of those little light bulbs. Every time there's a light bulb that comes into this attic, what's that crap over there? Mm. Another light bulb. There's something over there. Another light bulb. There's something in that corner. It's like, hey, it all looks pretty clean. Four more people come into your life. Did you see that pile of crap in the back over there? I'm not going to lie real quick, just because we're talking about this. I thought you meant like addict, like an addict. No, no, attic. 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 Yeah, like, for, well, I got it after the fact. Yeah, but, like, yeah. like a big room that's yeah. cluttered and it's got a lot of stuff in it. And often I feel, I, I've, I felt like, you know, when God brings people into your life that, that you come into relationship with when you're in a community, it's like adding a lot of lights to this really messy room because each one of those illuminates a different part of your heart. Every personality, every different person that you interact with kind of touches on a different part of your heart and often challenges parts of your heart that were never challenged before. You cannot live community in isolation. And that is, we've talked about this. You You can't, you can't grow in isolation. You got to be in community. Right. And I think that's why God calls us into community. That's why it's so easy for you to feel perfect when you're by yourself because you don't got all those light bulbs. Yeah. All those, Hey, Turn on the light, the lights, and watch, watch the roaches scatter. Uh-huh. <laughs> Come on, man! Anybody that grew up even a little bit poor, yep. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you turn on the lights at night, all those little roaches running everywhere, like into the cover. It's like, oh man, we got a roach problem. Yeah, and I think we've said it before. It's like you can sit at home, have a prayer time, have a devotion time, have worship time. You can lay on your face before God and and, and feel like, yeah, I'm good. Everything's great. I don't have an issue with pride. I don't have an issue with lust. I don't have an issue with jealousy. I don't have an issue with, with greed or envy or arrogance or lying. Put me in a group of people. Watch them roaches run. Bing bong. It's like, oh, you didn't, you didn't have an issue with lust? Oh, you didn't have an issue with pride? You didn't have an issue with, with, with you know, jealousy, with arrogance? Yeah. 
But it's not until we're in that community that all those lights come on and, and that different parts of our hearts get exposed. But those, those parts of our hearts are supposed to be exposed in community because God wants to clean them up and he wants to, to help us grow and become better. That's why I love this morning at breakfast. I was telling you guys a story of what happened this weekend and or the other day. And you called me out on a moment of behavior that I, that could have impacted a situation much more positively. And both you and Stu did it. And I could have taken that in offense or I could offense, uh, not a fence offense. Um, or I could have uh, taken it the way that I did, which was here is a perfect opportunity for me to, to learn, grow and check myself. And it's needed because if, if I didn't have you guys around to say, hold up, let's talk about this really quickly. You said what? You did what? You're adding to the fire, bro. Would you have seen that in yourself? No way. I thought I walked away from that as a, oh, I did really great. <laughs> I, I didn't argue. I didn't fight with this person. I didn't like yell at them. I just was calm collected. I made one little comment. Well, just like when you, when you, we called me out that one time, I, I loved it to this day. And I, I still, it's still that, that one comment was the gift that keeps given. <laughs> it was a person I had an issue with. And there, there was a corner of my heart. When you spoke that light bulb, it, it, it put a spotlight on that corner. And it's like, okay, there, there's a little pile of dog crap in that corner of your room. What are you going to do with it? And what you said specifically was, I had an issue with someone. I had some hurt in my heart against a person. And you said it as plain as day. Are you praying for him? Are you praying for him? I wouldn't have seen that in myself right away. I don't know that I ever would have seen that in myself. I would have, I would have held on to that thing and felt like, oh, I'm justified in being hurt. Yeah. I would have held on to it and not grown. But you saying, are you praying for them? Are you trying to be a friend? Are you trying to be tender? Are you trying to, to bear Christ's image with respect to that person? I needed that light bulb. This makes me think back to a moment where I was working at a, at a pretty big tech company and I had made really close relationships with this one director on our team and, and another person on my team was one person that was like a individual contributor and then the other person was a director. There was a moment um, where this person had a conversation with that director outside of me and they asked her, hey, is Alex socially aware? And I was like, what do you mean by that? Am I socially aware? Am I aware of what? And uh, automatically my pride was like, what, what are you talking about? I'm aware now. I am aware now. <laughs> well, looking at it now from the position that I'm in today. I wish I would have known what it was because they never answered that question. I'm like, well, how, what am I supposed to change? 
And I asked, I, there was a moment where I did ask like, well, what was that about? And her response was, I don't know, just be aware. Okay. okay. Go back to my desk. Should I not talk or should like, what's going on? Just sitting like in a lotus position, staring your head. <laughs> I am aware. Yes. Yes, yes. I hear the air blowing through the vents in the AC system. I'm at one with the world. I am aware of it all. Stupid big tech. But then now looking back at it, you know, if I would have done whatever that was, that would have been the light bulb. That would have been a moment for me to change something that I, maybe I've got a really bad habit in business that I don't know about. And that's not like necessarily an area that I always like go to when thinking about changing behaviors. It's like, well, ooh, what can I do better? Get out of here. So we need other people in our lives. We do. And that's not to say that, I think another reason that we need other people in our lives is to learn about grace how to get it and how to give it both how to get it and give it yeah we need other people in our lives um that will show us what grace is when we're when we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing we're doing things that are hurtful when we're when we're not being great and they continue to love us through that and they they show grace because they love us but then also we need to be willing to do that for others. It's like this idiot. Like, what's he do? This idiot. You're gonna walk into the wall. This this fool told me he'd be here at two thirty. It's two fifty. He's just now coming over here. Just the Grace. I just keep hearing the arrested development theme song. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there. Oh my god. <laughs> That's, that's grace. Yeah. Like, and we need to, we need to learn how to receive grace and we need to learn how to show grace to other people too. It's again, you don't learn that, you know, living in an Island by yourself. No. Cause living on an Island by yourself. I feel like, I feel like we'll do one of two things. I feel like I would do one of two things. Either I show myself all the grace in the world and everything's okay. And I make an excuse for anything and everything I want to do. And find a way to justify it all. There's a topic right there. Or I'm the most awful human being and I don't deserve anything. And I'm like, go to the other extreme and I'm never going to be good enough. I'm not worth anything. Go to the other extreme and show myself no grace. And it kind of feels like. Pendulum. We, we, yeah, it's a pendulum. We're, we're always at one extreme or another. So I think when we're around others, we get to learn. Oh, I need to learn how to forgive them and I need to learn how to accept forgiveness. Yeah. I find myself often on the extreme. Yeah. Yeah. No, on, on both ends. Cause there are many moments where I'm like, Oh, I am forgiven. So then that can Acting like a fool. And then the other side is, oh, I'm the most terrible sinner in the world. Oh my gosh. Like I don't deserve this. Pity me. Pity, pity, pity. Someone give me pity. Mm-hmm. I find myself in that swinging motion quite often. But 
what keeps me in the middle is friendships. Like this morning. And friends often remind us of the work we need to do, but don't want to do. Ain't that the truth? It's like, okay. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's not good. That's not great. But it's not just like, oh, you're, you're doing something wrong and you let it go. Yeah. Or you're doing something great, you let it go. It's like you're doing something wrong. Okay, but let's walk through that. What can you do? And you're like, oh, now I got to do something. <laughs> what did I even come to breakfast? Now I got to go do something. I got to go work on something. I got to just stay at home. I wasn't expecting that today. And then, you know, when you guys said it, it hit me in right in that moment. And I'm like, idiot. Cause you know, there's, there was a, there's this thought that I've been circulating in my head for, for quite a while now, maybe the past year and a half. Which is it, what does it look like to love like Jesus? And I went on this like journey of trying to figure out what that looked like. If there was like a technical way of doing it, process oriented checklist, <laughs> didn't find it. Oh, I'm going to go ask chat GPT how, how to love like Jesus. You should do that right now so you can see that. Um, yeah. And I had a, I had a difficulty, you know, trying to figure out what that is. And so the, the thought that's been circulating in my head is to just love others, just be present and not react with emotion. I think that's the biggest thing that's been circulating is if somebody tells you something that you don't think is right or you feel in opposition of the way to show Jesus is just to be nice to them. And I'm not saying that it's wrong, but if you have a relationship with somebody, it's, it has to be more than just being nice. What did it say? I literally just asked chat GPT. How do I love and treat others like Jesus? Oh gosh. I got to hear this. It's actually not bad. No, no. I'll give you the, the points. It gave me one, two, three, four, five, five points. Man, that was quick. Love your neighbor as yourself. One, two, serve others. All right. Three, forgive others. Four, be compassionate. Five, speak the truth in love. All right, GPT. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, if it can write a worship song. Okay, so then let's challenge my thought here. Loving somebody like Jesus, being kind. That's what I thought. That's the circulation. That's the thought of circulation that's been in my head. What I'm missing, well, I guess it just depends on the situation. Because it could be servanthood. It could be being, being truthful in love. It could be, or it could be many different facets of all of those together in one. Speaking the truth in love. Because it, it's, not, it's not just being kind. Because I think about the woman at the well. Do you remember? When Jesus says, how many husbands do you have? Or, exactly. Yeah. Was that kind? <laughs> no. And so that, that's where my mind was at. I was like, yeah, no, that, you- that's, why I was, that's why I was looking it up. Because okay. that isn't necessarily kind. Yeah. But his motivation in speaking to her is there's a love behind him speaking to her. Oh yeah. That drives him speaking to her. 
and love isn't isn't always going to be soft and sweet. Yeah. Sometimes it's going to be hard and and challenging. So I think for him to tell her that, you know, I mean, isn't love usually hard and challenging? Um, is that my trauma just speaking through me right now? No, I think sometimes, sometimes it is. Sometimes love is easy. Think of, think of Briley and Owen running into your lap. Is that hard? Is that challenging? When they run and they throw their arms around you and they want to be, they fall asleep on your chest watching a movie. It's not challenging. It's not hard. It's beautiful. That's easy. That's comforting. That's warm. That's love too. You raising your voice and being direct with Owen when he's about to run into a street. That's love. Yeah. But it's not warm and fuzzy. No. But it's still love. Yeah. And for him, it's harsh. It's harsh and it's it's got to be challenging for him. It's like, wait, I'm just I'm just being a kid. I'm just doing the thing that comes most natural to me. And here I hear this booming voice yelling at me like, oh man, I, I feel, I feel scared. Like what, wait, what, what, what am I doing wrong for him? Think of his context. It's gotta be challenging for him processing this. Yeah. But it's it, still love in both cases. It is. And yeah, I think about, <laughs> there was a moment where he was trying to run across the street and two cars were coming. They both stopped. But as I'm yelling at him, stop, stop. There's a car coming. Stop. He stops and his and in his confusion, he's like, what do I do? My dad's telling me to stop, but then these cars have stopped. Now let me run. And so I'm like, no, don't run. Like, don't run out in the street. Let me walk over to you and then we'll walk together. And so I finally get over to him and you know, we get to the sidewalk. I let the cars pass. I'm like, Owen, these cars are not looking out for you. You need to look out for cars coming because you bolt out in front of them. They're not going to have time to stop and they're going to hit you and you're going to die. And... <laughs> We we're walking to the truck. He's getting in. As he's getting in, he turns to me and goes with the most serious voice I've ever heard him have with me. You almost made me die today. And I'm like, kid, what are you, what are you talking about? He was like, if you wouldn't have yelled at me, uh, or if you would have, if you, how do he No, If you would have yelled at me, I would have ran into the cars and died. And I was like, no, dude, you got it backwards. Kids. I've watched kids and they seem to be dramatic. We went to dinner with, with a friend of ours. It's this young couple and they have two kids and one of their little boys, I guess, I I think he's like four. He had this little toy and I can't remember what it was. It was a, I think it was like a little plastic boomerang and he kept throwing it. He kept throwing it and we're sitting, having dinner. We're sitting down in this little outdoor patio seating area. And, and we, we love this family. We love, I mean, the kids there, we, we love them. And I watched him and he kept throwing this thing and he was throwing it towards a trash can. And I heard his, his mom say, I think it was his mom or his dad, our friends, like, don't throw it over there. It's going to fall in the trash can. And the trash can was like four feet tall. So there's no way he could go in there and get it. It's like, and his dad said, don't throw it over there. It's going to fall in the trash can. You're you're not going to have anything. He kept throwing it. He kept throwing it. We keep talking. We're having an adult conversation. And then you hear this scream. He starts crying. He runs over. What happened? It went in the trash can. (laughs) 
He goes, I was playing with it and blah, blah, blah. And I threw it and went in the trash can. And then he comes and he sits at the table and he throws his hands up and he throws his hands down. He goes, and now I have nothing. Gosh. It was so, it was such a dramatic moment. I have nothing. And he's like four. And then one of his parents has to go dumpster diving for this, this little, this little boomerang thing. I'm like, man. Sounds like my kids. I take the iPad away. Now we have nothing to do. It's like the end of the world. Yeah, I'm like, yep. you have plenty of toys. Go in that playroom and go play. Go. <laughs> Thinking about, can love be easy? Is it always hard? Definitely learning that is my trauma speaking through. That the first thing that came to your mind was it's challenging and hard. Yes. Something I'm going to work on. That's it's significant. Yeah. It's it's not it's not like you think it's the only thing, but it is the no. first thing that came up. Yes. So that's see, you are aware. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Life is crazy. What was the original topic? I remember, but I don't know how we, we got where yeah. we are now. The original topic was um you win them what you win them with is what you win them to. Well, going back to what I just learned now about love, I think that's a, a a moment for me to realize in dating relationships, and we've talked about this a little bit ago before the podcast, um, how I need to start looking through the lens of a different lens because the current lens that I have is going to impact my romantic relationships in the future if I don't make the changes that I need to. Um, because what I lead them with in trauma is what they're going to expect. I love that you said that before we jumped on. It's what people are going to expect out of you if that's what you give them. Yeah, be, be yourself from the start. And allow them to be themselves from the start. That requires you to know who you are. Yeah. And I'll go back to um, the Gospels. I think it was uh, Peter. When Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? And then Peter replies, the Son of God. And then Jesus tells Peter who he is. In order for Peter to know who he was, he first had to acknowledge and recognize who Jesus was. So if you want to know who you are, you need to start by acknowledging and recognizing who Jesus is, who God is. Once you recognize that, then then you can gain an understanding for who you are, not the other way around. Let me find that scripture because I never want to misquote it. You know, my algorithm on like uh, Instagram is a lot of like therapists, counselors, psychiatrists. Um, Because I love listening to people talk about like neuroplasticity and the way the brain functions under trauma, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a, a video that I watched recently that this guy 
he's like cutting, he's like pruning a garden and he went to therapy and there were, there were really the topic of the video was why we need therapy. But he was uh, talking about where he told the therapist, like, I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. I'm a hard worker. I am a great friend. I am all these things. He's like naming this list. And the therapist responded with, well, those are all the things that you are for other people. But who are you for yourself? Let me tell you, that hit me. I was like, okay. Um, that qu- made me question, who am I? But I love what you just said. Because it, if I go down the path of trying to figure out who I am in the world, I'm just going to find a bunch of titles. And if I seek the one who formed me in my mother's womb, who has counted every single hair on my head, who had planned for me to be here before I was ever conceived or thought of by my family, that's the ultimate of what I should build who I am on. That's your true identity. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know your true identity, well, you, you probably, you should start by looking at the one who created you. So good. And that's what happened in that scripture. And I found it in Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So what about you? He asked, who do you see I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Notice the order of things, the order in which things happened. Yeah. Who do you say I am? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. God first. Peter recognizes who he is. And then Jesus tells Peter who he is. That to me seems like the model. If I want to know who I am, I need to dig into and acknowledge who he is. See, things like this get me excited to teach my children. Because growing up, automatically my thought went to, you hear all the time, like, I I don't know, maybe, but this is what I was told as, as I was growing up. Like, God first, then you, then your spouse, then your kids, then your friends, or then your family, then your friends, and then work, right? Like that list of priority. What they fail to communicate is why is it important for God and you to be number one in relationship? And it's for that. And it gives so much more depth and... not passion, but vision to prioritize a relationship with him. 
because you've got so much noise around you that are telling you all these things that you are or that you're not. We live in a world that's all too ready to tell us who we are. Or more so, shape us into who they think we should be. Think of all the, you said titles earlier, but think of all the labels that get put on you. Um, oh, man. And that's driven by a lot of different motives. This is who you need to be. This is who you're supposed to be. And, and there's a lot of different motives for that. Um, but if we want to know our identity, well, let's start with the one who created us. Let's go to him and seek him and cling to him not to get an idea, to get an understanding of who we are. What does his word say about who we are? What does he say about who we are? And life pro tip, we need to continue doing this all the time because it's not like a revelation that, oh, well, I know who I am now. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I got this. A week passes, two weeks pass. If we're not having that conversation with him and reaffirming and, and reinvesting time with him to reinforce who he is and, and who we are, you know, re, re, re-acknowledge and recognize him daily. Well, there's a lot of other voices in this world that are going to be speaking to us. So if, if we're listening to those voices or being influenced, influenced by by the noise of the world more than we're influenced by his voice and by seeking him. Of course, our perspective and our ideas of who we are are going to change. So it's like, what's that old thing about the Eskimo with the dogs? It's like, um, there was an Eskimo that had a couple of dogs and he'd fight them every week and he'd bet on the dogs and he'd always win. He'd always win the, he'd gamble and he always won on, on the dogs and, and somebody asked him one time, it's like, well, how do you always know which dog's going to win? Well, it's always the one that I feed more. Dude, that is, I've never heard that before. And that's, that's amazing. So what are we feeding more? Are we feeding our relationship with God and are we allowing him to feed us and influence us? Are we being informed and influenced by him more than we're being informed and influenced by the world? And just look over the course of a day. How much time do we spend seeking him out and listening to his voice versus how much time do we spend engulfed by the noise of the world? And then we get to a point where we're confused and we have issues with our identity, our issues with self-esteem, issues with our sense of purpose. And we wonder, you know, we get frustrated and we get confused and we get discouraged and we're like, why? Well, which dog are you feeding? Well, I sent you that text last week about how I, I've realized I struggle to read. Like if I hold out on reading scripture for midday. It gets harder, doesn't it? It gets more difficult. And the reason for that is because all of the things that I'm allowing to take, to take, to take up real estate in my mind, we talked about this on the last episode. It matters. Well, now you doing that thing is competing with a lot of other stuff. Right. When you do it at the beginning of the day, there's not a lot of other stuff already competing. Now you're trying to do this thing while there's a bunch of other things already going on. And that's a lot harder to manage. It's not that we can't do it. It doesn't mean that we can't 
take a moment and be still and know that I am God at any point during the day. We can do that at any point. How hard do you want that to be? Right. When is the time where, where that is going to be the most productive? And for me, it's, it's in the morning. Going back to Steve saying, hey man, are you tithing a portion of your time every day? Are you giving, giving him the first and the best? It really does matter because it completely prepares you for the day. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect and you're going to get it all right, but it really does. Mm-hmm. We went all over the place today. I mean, it all circled back like we always do. Action item. I'm thinking. Okay. In your personal life, two lists. In your personal life, write down, write down what are you winning them with? In your church life, what are you winning? Write down a list. What are you winning them with? Because in both cases, that's what you're winning them to. And if you don't know, ask the most the most recent person that you won and what, what it was. Yeah. You don't know then? If you don't know, find out. Ask. Yeah. Ask and you shall receive. Mm-hmm. Actually, I love that a lot. This is a this is going to be a heavy one for people to to do. Yeah, it's it's going to take I think some self-examination and some thought and it's not like, oh, I'm just going to write this note but this this is mean need to think. Um it it's going to take some thought. Hey, I've been wanting to use this ever since I heard John Northberg talk about it in his uh in his book uh the life you always wanted. Mm-hmm. It's another person. He got the quote from somebody else. Probably Dallas Willard. No, there was a, it was a, it was a woman and uh, she had like a ethnic name. I don't know, maybe like African or um, I don't know, but he said, reading for transformation, we have to go slowly. And then he used the analogy of it's like a, it's like a bee skimming over the top of flowers. It's not going to do anything to pollinate that. It has to go deep into the bud of the flower in order for it to pollinate in the way that it needs to, the way that it was built to do. Mm. So this moment requires you to really slow down and examine what you're, what you're leading with. And if you don't know, Ask some, ask somebody. Because if you got close enough people in your circle, they'll be honest with you. Even if it hurts. <laughs> Just know it's out of love. Should they share it? For me, this exercise would just be, it's kind of a personal thing. I think it is. Okay. It feels like, what is it that what is it that I do to draw people toward me? What is it that draws people towards me? And, and what of those things, you know, am I trying to do to draw them towards me? What am I doing to try to win people towards me? And write that list down. And if, if that feels weird, then okay, then what, what, um, how do you feel about people? What, what gives you, uh, a love for them or what, 
what makes you want to draw them to you and what are the things that you do to try to get them drawn to you? Yeah. After I said that and after you responding, this is not an opportunity to give revelation of what you learned to others. This is, this is for self work. All right. There's your homework for the, for the week. A little more messy than normal, but yeah, but I, I think it's still helpful. I think it's important. Well, we love you. Love y'all. We'll, uh, we'll see you next or we'll talk to you next week. Later. Later.